Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. I hope your Thursday is off to a good start here, and thank you so much for listening to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and this is our program about spiritual direction. Every day we try and look at a different aspect of growing closer to Christ, of how we live our lives as Catholics, as Christians, and how we can improve in those areas that we need to improve in and how we can avoid those areas we need to avoid. And when you were a child in primary or elementary school, when you were growing up those first few years in school, first, second, third grade, where did you stand in line when your teacher told you to line up with everyone else in the class? Sometimes... You might be in a line, and whoever got there first, whoever got there second, whoever got there third, that was the order. If you were fast enough, you were at the front of the line. But then there were all those times where the teacher would tell you and your classmates to stand in alphabetical order according to your last name. Where did you fall in that line? My last name, Raymond. Well, I fell in the back half of the line, not at the very end with the kids with last names like Wilson or Williams, and I was ahead of the Smiths or the Thompsons, but there were plenty of kids that were ahead of me, and I think like most kids that were kind of in that back half of the line there in my group, we always looked ahead with a little bit of envy toward those kids with last names like Anderson or Adams even brown would be okay, you know. A, a B is, is okay. I'd settle for a B. Uh, being last always seemed to be the worst thing when you were a kid. Being picked last to be on a sports team, you know, the kickball team or whatever you were playing out on the playground. Uh, I don't think I ever was picked first for a team, but I, I don't think I was ever actually picked dead last either. There were a couple of times where I remember being one of those kids that was, you know, the last three or four there left, and you're kind of getting a little antsy. Oh, come on, guys, pick me, pick me. Worried that you're going to be that very last one because you want to at least have some respect out there on the playground, uh, you know, amongst the other kids. But being first, it always appeared to be the best thing when you were young. If you were starting to learn a musical instrument in band or orchestra, that first chair, right? That was the best chair, the best musician for their section, whatever their instrument was. If you showed up at school and you happened to have sneakers, the brand new sneakers that came out that year first before anybody else, well, everybody else for a, a day or two, they might ooh and ah over uh, your sneakers. Well, there were a couple of kids who were trying to say, ah, uh, it's no big deal. I don't care, new sneakers. But you knew deep down that they they really wanted those sneakers too. If you were the first in line at the movie theater and the summer movie was, you know, everybody was going to see whatever that blockbuster was. You got to get your first bucket of freshly popped popcorn. You get to choose the best seat in the cinema. But if you were the last one to the movies, if uh, the theater was crowded, you'd have to race in so you didn't miss the opening scene of the movie. You might even have to skip the popcorn. And if you were with friends and you were there, one of the last ones to get in because... 
you were late, you might have to end up splitting up there in the theater. And you found yourself sitting down by yourself next to a stranger, maybe in that very front row, that front row of seats on the edge end of that row. And it's where they shouldn't even have a row because you have to look straight up at the screen and all those images for the movie. They look really weird and distorted because of that angle that you're at sitting down there in front. And then after a couple hours sitting there with your neck bent up, looking straight up, you've got a stiff neck walking out of the theater. So when you were young, you'd also hear people talking about, you know, adults. They would introduce other adults if you were at some sort of event. And if they got to the last person, they'd say, well, last but not least. But as a kid, you knew this was... Uh, This was really just adult code for saying, someone has to be last. I'm really sorry it's you. I'll try and pretend it's not so bad to be the last one. But yeah, as a kid, six, seven, eight years old, being first, that was the best, and being last was the worst. But eventually, you started to realize as you grew a little older that some of those things that come last aren't necessarily bad. They might even be really good. And dessert, that was probably the one thing, right, that tipped you off before anything else as you were growing a little older, that things that come last might be okay. If you were out for a special dinner with your family, you know, they'd bring you the soup or the salad, maybe some bread or rolls, and maybe you ordered your drink. If if your parents were in a good mood, you'd get a soda or some chocolate milk and maybe drink that before your your entree even arrived. You know, glass is gone. But the chocolate milk's so good, Mom. And then they'd bring the main course. But if you were good, if you ate all of your food, if you behaved yourself, there was that possibility of dessert, a piece of pie, a piece of cake, maybe an ice cream sundae. And that was the best part of the meal, the last part. And as you got older, school might have gotten more tiresome for you. You went to school because you had to go. But honestly, you'd rather be sleeping in. It was better to be able to relax over the weekend And this might have even carried over into adulthood for you, right? There's that classic 80s pop song, Might Speak Absolute Truth to You. Everybody's working for the weekend. Is that the case for you? On the whole, do you look forward to Friday? Is that the best day of the week? Getting to take that break from the weekly routine, the weekly grind. Is the last part of, uh, is dessert, is that the best part of your meal? What comes at the end? What about when it comes to your faith life? Things that come at the end, are they the best part? Well, if you have that initial encounter with Christ, whatever that may be, maybe it was you went on a retreat and it changed your life. Maybe you're a convert like me. Perhaps you fell away from the faith, but something brought you back after a prolonged absence. And that starting point of encountering Jesus, receiving the sacraments, you feel excited, you're energized, you're alive there, but there's so much more to come. In fact, the best is yet to come if we are united with Christ, if we are in a state of grace. And then for us, death is not something to fear. We can actually look forward to being with our Lord in heaven eventually. And so today, we don't want to look at the things that come first. We want to look at the things that come last, the last things. There are four last things that the Catholic Church talks about that are important for every human to know. And joining us today to help us look at these last things that we all should talk about, that we all should be prepared for, is one of our regular voices here, our spiritual director is Father Sam Martin. He's a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. And Father Martin, welcome back to The Inner Life. With a last name like Martin, I'm guessing you were pretty much smack dab in the middle of the line when the teacher told you to line up at school. 
That's right. I think, uh, you know, alphabetically, I was superior to you, Josh, but probably not in any other way. But we'll, uh, you know, we beggars can't be choosers. So, we'll, uh, but it's a, it was a nice way of setting up this whole topic uh, that we'll discuss with our listeners today. Well, and so as we do look at this, you know, I said it's not, death shouldn't be something that we fear. Uh, but pretty much everything about our faith has that focus looking beyond this life in one way or another. As Catholics, as Christians, we always have our sights set ahead to what lies beyond the physical, the material world. And some people might get this idea that, well, you're focused on death a lot. You're looking toward the end of life and what happens after death. And they might say, this is a kind of a morbid outlook. But it isn't morbidity. It's actually it's it's not some fascination with death. For us, it's actually having the hope to eventually be united with Christ in a way for us to be more fully alive in Him than we ever were here on Earth. And uh, one of the the images. Did you ever read the book by C.S. Lewis, uh, The Great Divorce, Father? Oh, Father. Yeah, it's um, our connection isn't great today, but anyway. Uh, the Great Divorce, uh, the book all about uh, what happens on the other side and things that have always fascinated us because we realize it doesn't take us long to see that uh, everything in this world has a beginning and an end, all these finite things, including our life. And we begin to wonder, this, uh, this life with the Catholic funeral mass, we hear that in death life is changed, not ended. Is that true? And what happens? And people have these near-death experiences and they claim that there's a consciousness that goes on even after our body returns to, um, you know, that we are dust to dust, we shall return. So uh, the, the Great Divorce is this beautiful uh, fictional account of what, you know, heaven might look like, what hell might look like, and uh, how different they are, and uh, how God, he respects our choices. That's what we think, is that uh, our life is, a, all of our life is taken in its entirety, that we choose to be with God or without him, and the Lord will respect that. God wants to save his people. I mean, he makes that very clear by sending his only begotten son who humbles himself to take our human nature right. and gives his life on the cross and uh, and suffers these, these terrible, evil things so to atone for our sins. It's clear that God wants us to spend eternity with him. At the same time, yeah. he gave us the gift of freedom, and he respects it, and uh, ultimately we do make these choices, and some are more maybe aware of the... What we do here echoes unto eternity. It has eternal ramifications. Others might not be so aware. Anyway, and God knows the difference. He'll judge us on what we knew to be true and how we lived. And Jesus said, we'll know the truth. It'll set us free. But um, when, how, uh, our task is first to start to understand that truth, to live it. And then it's good news. So we obviously feel some, uh, you know, some inspiration to share it, teach it, and uh, hope that others might find the joy of the gospel too. Well, and, and the reason I mentioned The Great Divorce, Father, is because, uh, like you said, it's a fictional account. It's C.S. Lewis's just kind of imagining of, you know, how we might be on the way to heaven. And the thing that I really, uh, that really stuck with me is that as the people progress, as they try and make their way, they're really kind of these faint, almost the way it, it sticks in my mind is kind of almost transparent or translucent beings that are trying to walk on the way towards this mountain that is heaven in the distance. And with every step that they're taking, they're so uh, weak 
corporeal beings at this point that they can't even bend a blade of grass that they're stepping on. They can't, uh, if they fall into the river, they don't fall into it. It's almost like a conveyor belt because their substance is so lacking that they can't fall into water. The water just pushes them along on top of it. And so they have no weight, no being, no substance. But as they begin progressing, those who do make that forward progress, as they're moving on towards heaven, they become more and more real. And so, yeah, that, that's the, the part that stuck in my mind is, you know, we talk about death being one of those final things, one of those last things that we will deal with here on this earth. But we have the hope of, like I said, being more alive with Christ than we probably will ever be able to understand here while we're still on earth. Yeah, Lewis has a great imagination, and of course this is all, you know, kind of speculative, but it, it does get us to think in the right direction, you know, that right. heaven is so real that we're not ready for it yet, you know, that Lewis, um, the couple of movies about his life are uh, titled The Shadowlands, and that's what he thought about Earth, that uh, this is a shadowy existence, we're not fully alive just yet, and we're not ready to live in a place that is the kingdom of God, that... Uh, his kingdom is not of this world. If it were, his subjects would be fighting for him even now. But uh, but it doesn't say he's not a king, and that he doesn't have authority. And the Old Testament sense was to see God is to die, and that he's just too beautiful for our senses. They were damaged by original sin, so God doesn't kick us out of the Garden of Eden. He does us a favor because we can't live there anymore. It's too much for us. That we're we're wounded now, and and so to protect us, he moves us away from what once was life giving and inspiring. And now it's, it's overwhelming, probably the shame and the guilt and everything else. So God has to set us out uh, away from this place that was such a source of joy, but now it's a, a, you know, it just damage us beyond repair. So, uh, yeah, it's a, I just think that you know, Socrates, you know, the, the unexamined life not worth living, that's a great thing. I mean, it, it's been a long, hard year with COVID and everything, but maybe people were given the invitation to consider mortality, that um, no matter, you know, if uh, you might not die of, of COVID, please God, but we're going to die of something, and uh, that's inevitable. And, and yet for us, that's not an unmitigated evil. Uh, people get tongue-tied talking about death, but it, for us, because of our Lord's uh, great victory, he proves that he has power over sin and death. And well, we're invited to believe that, and believing that changes the way we spend our limited time down here. You know, we don't have to have everything, we don't have to win everything, we don't have to conquer everything, because that's just the beginning, you know, and I like what Winston Churchill said about death, it's not the end, it's not even the beginning of the end, perhaps it's the end of the beginning, you know, that uh, this was the first part, and what comes next, now that is worth living for, even worth dying for, as the martyrs are witnesses of, and Jesus himself showed that um, greater love than this no man has to lay down his life. So for the Lord, uh, he wasn't afraid of death. The devil was shocked. I don't think the devil saw it coming. Too proud he thought that he had conquered, you know, God, that somehow he had um, won this victory. Even now I think that his pride blinds him, and maybe it blinds us. So um, thinking and speaking about death is a bit humbling, and, uh, but like you said, Josh, not morbid. It's an invitation to consider, well, what's out there, and is it worth it? And those who live in heaven would say, oh, it's a cor- of course it's <laughs> right. worth it. Uh, we can't even describe it. It's too much for your senses, but someday you'll see and you'll believe. Well, you won't have to believe. You'll know because you'll see him face to face. 
Well, and so as we're talking about the last things, I mentioned there's four last things that the church really identifies as being in that category. We have death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And we've talked a bit about death, um, but when we look at it, what does the church say? I mean, you mentioned, you know, that there is... um, that, that, you know, we, we have a funeral mass said, you know, that those who are in heaven would tell us, no, you, you know, it's it's so worth it. What does the church tell us about death? You know, we even pray for a happy death, and that just almost sounds like a an oxymoron, you know, kind of a dichotomy there, a happy death. So what should we understand when we talk about death as a Catholic? When I was little, I remember going to funerals, Josh, and it always felt like a kind of a scandal that it just, you know, when someone like my grandpa died and you, you felt the weight of it, like it's just wrong. It's not fair. Why does this happen? And, and that's uh, St. Francis of Assisi used to talk about original innocence, that there was a time, and I think that somewhere in our soul there's this idea of recollection. That was a kind of a, an idea that Plato had uh, described too. But somewhere deep down inside us we remember that it wasn't always like this that this was not part of God's original plan. The wages of sin are death. That's where death came from. And just a week ago, we had the Book of Wisdom in the uh, Sunday, that was the 13th uh, Sunday in Ordinary Time, about that death was from the envy of the devil. So it, it came into the world. It wasn't a part of what God had intended from the very beginning, but a consequence of sin. And so we, we still feel the, the tragedy of it. And yet, now it's begun because of the... Uh, or the Paschal mystery that, uh, oh, necessary fall to happy sin of Adam that won for us so great a Redeemer. That How could we say that? That, that too ought to you know, shake, scandalize us. But out of that sin and our death came a God who, in a way, couldn't die. But by our nature, he did. And then he redeems. He, he shows us that the way home now, the Passover of the Lord, is through death. It's not a dead end. It's a door into a place that was always meant for us even from the beginning of the age. And, and so now, somehow, the, because of sin, we rejected it. So the gates of heaven are closed, also sanctifying grace. But that's restored by a God who couldn't die. And so in the Psalter, in the, the rebrary that we pray, that Holy Saturday, that death, you die in me. And the devil, that got him off guard. So now we look at death as something that the God that we worship endured. And he promised that uh, this is the way home. This is the way to my father. So St. Francis would call my sister death, and, and we talk about a holy death, that, uh, which means being ready, having prepared that uh, this is just the beginning. Uh, this life is, uh, is a struggle. I always think that it's like being on a plane, and the stewardess comes on the, uh, you know, the intercom and says, buckle up, turbulence ahead, and that's life. I mean, it's, uh, she's not kidding, and there's going to be a lot of it. And at some point, the plane's going to go down, and, and yet we say, uh, something else, something better is coming. This is the way home. So we can think of it as it's a separation uh, of the body and the soul. The, the body is dust, and to dust we shall return. We know that you know, there are many different ways that our body can die. They used to say just over 8,000, actually, but uh, only one of those is going to get us, so we don't have to worry about the rest of them. <laughs> we don't know which one, but, uh, but our soul, that animating principle, the thing that holds us alive, I mean, it, you can see it in a way. You know, you take a a dandelion and pull it up, you know, and it's not too long and it starts to wilt because you've separated the, whatever was keeping it alive 
which is a biological process, but there are things that we can't describe completely. Life is a mystery. It's an extraordinary one and a beautiful one. What's, um, death is really not that, uh, it's not the great story. It's life that keeps coming back on a planet that uh, we haven't been the best stewards, but the resiliency of it, it seems that probably life comes from a supreme being who is indomitable and nothing can stop life and not if he doesn't want it to be stopped. So, uh, so we think about the separation of the soul from the body and that the soul is alive. I, we just preached on that gospel, a little girl that was dead or so, uh, but Jesus said, no, she's asleep. And someday that same Jesus is going to stand by our casket or whenever it's going to happen. He's going to say, little boy, little girl, wake up. He has that power. He has that authority. Death used to be the weapon of the evil one. It's not anymore. It doesn't belong to him. But you wouldn't know that by the way we respond to it. You'd think that somehow it's, uh, it's still this unmitigated evil that's going to just, it's the extinguishing of my life. It's just I return to, the, uh, to nothingness, to the void. No, no, it's a, that's not what we believe. So even from the time we were little, I know sometimes parents will modify that prayer, but now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die... Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Because the soul is alive. It can't die. It's immortal. It has a beginning, no end. So that's what um, we have to control or, you know, kind of uh, balance these things. That We don't have some fixation with death. We're not excited about it, like I can't wait to die. But we accept it. We know that it's a part of our life. And in the old days, maybe we were... Everybody was kind of agrarian, uh, you know, in terms of the society and the way you just saw animals, pets, the, you know, livestock, it, they died. And I guess maybe we were closer to death then, and now maybe we're more shielded from it, and uh, it comes as a, a greater struggle for us. It, and maybe spiritually we're not as uh, mature as we could be. Uh, mm-hmm. Those who are closer to Christ can accept it more readily. still hard because it separates us from our loved ones for a little right. while. And that's uh, that's a real suffering, but uh, only for a little while. That's why the Italians say "arrivederci" until we see each other again. It seems to imply that oh, we're going to. In faith, we believe that. Our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, and we're talking about the last things: death, judgment, heaven, and hell. How are you making sure that you're prepared when God calls you home? Do you have questions about? the judgment, about what happens after we die. Well, uh, that's why our spiritual director, Father Martin, is here. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. And coming up after a short time out here, we're going to talk about the judgment. What happens what are what are we in for with the judgment? Uh, I promise you won't want to miss it. Stay tuned here on Relevant Radio and RelevantRadio.com uh, and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio.
Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with Father Sam Martin, our spiritual director. He's a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. And we're going to be talking about last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And we're going to speak specifically about judgment. Before we get to that, I also wanted to let you know about a brand new book that we're offering for anyone who signs up for it. It's called Treasures of the Rosary, Reflections by Those Who Pray It Daily. And we're offering this book for absolutely free to anyone who registers at our website or on the relevant radio app. And this book, it contains reflections on the rosary, meditations by St. John Paul II, by St. Jose Maria Escriva, as well as our own executive director here at Relevant Radio. Father Rocky, and I I really hope you do sign up for it. No matter what your connection is to the Rosary, you'll gain a deeper understanding and devotion to Mary through reading this book. Uh, Again, it's absolutely free. No shipping charges, no postage, nothing. All you have to do is just sign up, but it's only available for a very limited time, so you should do that right now. And, uh, you know, I, I know in the past we've offered opportunities like these. Sometimes we'll have people who say, oh, can I get three books or four books? I'd like to hand them out to friends. Please just one book per household and don't sign up your friends. Let them sign up for themselves. Uh, you can tell your friends about it, of course. You can you know, forward on an email uh, where they can register, but let them register. And uh, all you have to do to get your free copy of this book, Treasures of the Rosary, is just go to RelevantRadio.com or the Relevant Radio app and just click on that banner. You'll see it right there when you go to the website or go to the app. Again, we're talking last things today with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, and maybe you have a question about the final judgment, about uh, what happens after we die, about heaven or hell, what the church teaches on these things. How are you making sure that you're prepared when you face these last things, when God says, this is the end of your life, this is where you die, and here's where you go on to the judgment? Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father Martin, let's talk about the judgment. Um, you know, when we talk about the judgment, I, I've heard different people talk about it in different ways. Somewhere it can be this scary, ominous kind of, uh, you know, approach to, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Uh, should I be scared? Should I be worried? I've heard other people say, oh, I don't know, won't it be more like I sit down with a, you know, God over a cup of coffee and we discuss all the good things and the bad things and hopefully the good outweighs the bad? And there's a lot of misconceptions on what the judgment is. Can, can you help us <laughs> get an idea of what really the judgment will be for us? Sometimes at funerals, you know, they'll choose the gospel, Matthew 25, which is the famous, I mean, it's Mother Teresa, one of her favorite passages, you know, she called it the gospel of the five fingers, that you did it for me, or you didn't. And that's the final exam. That's how it's going to go, that uh, did we treat our brothers and sisters as if it were Christ himself, and and uh, the least of our brothers uh, and sisters, those who may be marginalized, or, or family members, or people that were right in front of us, did we ever, you know, live for anybody other than ourselves? And that's uh, the key, because God we see in Jesus he's a being for others. He came not to be served, but to serve. This is a part of love, sacrifice, the ability to accept suffering, uh, and with hope, these are all things that are elements of true love, and that's who God is. It's not what he does, and we're made in his image and likeness, so did we learn to love? Did we learn anything? Uh, And uh, so that there's a judgment is revealed. Either you take this uh, in faith or no, but uh, God makes it very clear that at the end of our life we'll be judged by him, 
and he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he's just and merciful. Just, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't really worship a God that just said, hey, you know, I mean, everybody's just coming to heaven in a big green bus. You can all sit together, and yeah, but Lord, I mean, that person, you know, killed my brother. That person, uh, you know, damaged my whole life, my reputation. They, they did all these things, and, and they're just going to be next to me for all, I mean, like, that didn't matter down here. We'd have a hard time worshiping that kind of God, so we need him to be just, but if he's not merciful, we're all sunk because we can't stop sinning. We, we're just not going to be able to free ourselves from our uh, struggles and our temptations, the world, the flesh, the devil. Only a God who is merciful could do that for us. And so we see in Jesus, uh, he knows how to be really kind of stern sometimes, that the way is narrow, so that we don't get presumptuous. But he also knows that some people are really struggling with guilt and shame and the devil pounds us on both ends, so they might fall into despair. So he wants us to see, like the good thief on the cross, that, hey, you know, if you can make your peace with the Lord. No matter what your past has been, take responsibility. Tell the Lord in sincerity that you're sorry. Don't put it off till the end, I mean, because we never know when the end is going to come. So we want to make our peace with the Lord today. So uh, I was thinking, um, you know, private revelation, this guy, uh, he was on EWTN years ago, and he died about a year ago, Father Steve Schreiber, down in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, he had a near-death experience, and he told the whole thing. And I, before I shared the story, I called him one time, just looked him up, and he sent the, uh, the transcript of what he typed out. It looks like an old manual typewriter. And he said that he was in a car accident about 1985, and uh, he should have died you know, at the scene, but they med-flighted him into Kansas City, and he... Anyway, the long story short is he recovered and it gets back to his parish, oh, I don't know, it was over a year later, his first Mass back, and he said he was reading the Gospel and everything starts to go all kind of weird on him. The words are moving and they're getting bigger and, and no one else can see this but him. And Anyway, he gets back to the rectory after Mass, sits down, he's like, okay, Lord, now what the heck was that? And then he has this like trapped memory, this, and he's back at the scene of the accident. And he appears before Jesus and Jesus shows him his life. And he said he always thought you could kind of negotiate, like the Lord would say, well, you did this. Well, Lord, you don't understand the circumstance. But he said his experience is when Jesus speaks, it's the truth. It's not refutable. You can't. You just know that it's the truth, and there's nothing you can say about it. Mm. And he said that his heart fell because Jesus said, you lived your priesthood not for me, but for you. And he said it was true. I mean, I never, I just wanted people to like me, and I, it was nice to get gifts at Christmas. And so I never really got to those tougher moral uh, topics that really challenged my people to be holy and and so that the judgment for him was was not heaven it was hell and he said that uh, even though he his heart dropped he f- knew it was right and he said then he heard this woman's voice say oh my son if you give him another chance i i believe he will choose you and they said there was this long pause and then jesus says okay mother he's all yours end of near-death experience and he said, you know, and I've been hers ever since. I mean, you can imagine that uh, he's a different priest for the rest of his life. And, you know, it, uh, what happens? We just don't know. And you could take this with a grain of salt. But, um, you know, that we believe that our life, that's our choice. And if we didn't know any better, God knows that too. But he also knows, like, when our parents, if we got in trouble, they said, now you knew better. You, and, you know, <laughs> and sometimes you're like rats, you know. Mom's right. I do know better. They did teach me, and I did it anyway. That's what sin is, right? I mean, you can't accidentally sin. You kind of have to know that it's wrong, and you freely do it. And that 
leads us away from God. So we'll be judged by a God who is just. He has to straighten so much out. You know that Pope Benedict in his encyclical about hope, he's talking about, you know, these last things. And he says that whatever mercy is, it's not just some sponge that just makes everything go away, that the Nazis and the Jews could just sit side by side in the eternal kingdom as if it didn't really matter what happened down here. And the Pope is right. But somehow God, in his judgment, is going to sort it all out. He wants to save us, but he doesn't in any way compromise our free will. We have to want that too. And uh, even if it's in our last breath, right? Uh, you know, better late than never. That's why we pray uh, to St. Joseph. It's a great year to remember a, a happy, a holy happy death, death. Yeah. And especially for those who are away from God. We're praying that come home, <laughs> make your peace with the Lord while you can. Well, and as you're talking, so you mentioned Matthew chapter 25, the Gospel of Matthew there in the Bible, and where there is the judgment, it says all the nations, all the people will be, come before the Son of Man, Jesus, and he'll judge them. And so they're judged collectively there. But as you're talking about this priest, and it was such a powerful story. I'd never heard that story before, Father. But um, the priest who had that near-death experience and the judgment he had, that's a particular judgment. There's two different kinds of judgments that are happening here. Can you kind of differentiate for us what that is? Well, they say that, I mean, our faith will teach that the particular individual judgment happens at the moment of death. You know, now you're outside of time, so, but it seems that it's instantaneous, uh, that it happens. And the way this priest described his, he said it's just the review happens so fast. It's like, you know, and you see it all. You see your whole life, and uh, there it is, laid out in a way that's completely compelling. And uh, so you know that the guy judging you, the God judging you, uh, is not basing his report on something inaccurate. The universal judgment, the general judgment of the whole world, that's when the curtain comes down, the end of, of time whenever that is. It was supposed to be, uh, oh, back in uh, Y2K, and it didn't come then, and then 2012. I don't know when the next one's coming, uh, Josh, but anyway, then no one knows the day or the hour. Jesus, he tells us that, and uh, he's not uh, kidding. So, But when it does come, all the world, everything that God did, all the good and evil and how God drew so much from so little, all that will be revealed. And then we'll see that the weeds in the wheat field had their part to play. Heck, Maybe we were the weeds sometimes, for all I know, but the fact is we'll see that God, he permitted evil. He permitted his creatures to rebel. And first it was Lucifer and his minions and, and then many of us. But he, in the end, he was stronger, holier, and more truthful, and able to, to work his plan even the way he had said it you know, all the way back in time. I mean, from the very beginning, uh, even before he created. So we'll see how our own struggles somehow fit in, and our own failures that God draws straight with crooked lines, that this is the mystery of grace, that we look back and we like to omit things, white them out, wish that they'd never happened. Take that out of my life, Lord. It's such an embarrassment. But if we do that, we're not necessarily a better person because by God's mercy we can learn. And sometimes we grow. It's a, as St. Augustine said, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. So that's what, in the end, we'll see this. And when I was a kid, I used to be terrorized by this, terrified that that everybody's going to know my sins. And, of course, I was just a kid. I mean, I didn't have half the sins then that I do now. But I thought, gosh, I don't want everybody to know my sins. But this won't be to humiliate us, but to show how great God was and is and always has been, that how much he had to do for each one of us, that we'll look at each other with 
greater love than ever that I didn't know you struggled with that. I would have, gosh, I, I would have been more patient with you. I didn't know that that was a, a cross that you carried, a, a hurt that you could never heal, that God let that hurt be open, that wound be unhealed to help you to stay close to him, a wound that will only be healed in heaven for many people. So all that will be revealed at the general judgment, the universal judgment that happens at the end of the world, whenever that might come, uh, maybe today. But um, I used to tell my students, whenever the end times come, I I hope it's in September, beginning of a new school year. That'd be a nice time. But my <laughs> luck is coming June, and I got a whole summer lined up uh-huh, here. In uh-huh. <laughs> I, I knew a guy who always, I, I, you know, I talked about dessert being one of those things that comes last for us, and uh, I knew a guy who. He said, I, I always have dessert as the very first part of the meal. I don't wait until the end, just in case Jesus comes back. I always make sure I get my dessert first thing. Our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, and our studio line, 888-914-9149, as we talk about the last things, 888-914-9149. Father, let's go to the phones. We've got Joseph, who's listening in Sacramento, California. Hi, Joseph. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Yes, uh, this subject is very near and dear to my heart. Good morning, sir, and good morning, Father. And um, I became very close to Christ, extremely close, when my father and my brother died, because I started to question everything. Why? Why are we here? Why is this? Why is that? Why could? So I started visiting Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and became very, very close to him. That was when I was 18. Today I'm 54. Now my attitude toward death is that I've just no one instructing me on the faith, but just the constant visits and I guess grace, insights, what have you. I now tell Jesus because I have so many sicknesses now after the service. I'm disabled veteran. I tell him now that Jesus, when you take me, I do not know what day or hour. But know, Lord, that I'll be happier because I will no longer offend you. But also please know that at times when I fall, I do not do it out of malice. So I just wanted to share that, Father. That has become my attitude now about death. Yes, I am scared of it because this body will go down. But my faith, our faith tells me that uh, even in Scripture, it talks about a life after this life. And I firmly believe that when this body passes away, at which time we don't know, that our life will just change, will still exist. But uh, that's my attitude, Father. I just wanted to share that, Father, because of my faith, yeah. my attitude towards death. It's beautiful, Joseph, and God rest your brother and father and all those things that you've gone through in your life. But this is, um, this is where we do live by faith, not by sight. That We can't you know, prove all these things, but there's an intuition, there's something in our heart, and this goes back to the beginning of, of human civilization that many different cultures have believed there must be something. I know there are others that would say they will deny that we're, you know, they're just materialists and so forth, but uh, our beautiful St. Francis of Assisi, you know, his little, uh, uh, you know, famous poem, if you will, that it's in dying that we are born to eternal life, so that our faith can transform things, especially suffering, which can make us bitter, uh, it can make us uh, complacent, it can make us just feel that you know, the demons of futility are right, that it's just not worth it, and we spend our life trying to avoid pain and suffering rather than trying to accept it 
and to see what it might teach us. And we don't embrace it. We're the, the same with death. We're not like, I can't wait to get out of here. No, that would be to reject the gift that this life is. At the same time, we say to the Lord, I miss you. I know I was made by you, and I've, I look forward to being with you, but at your command, help me to it's just to pray the way Jesus wants. Give us this day our daily bread. That Help me to receive what I need to serve you today. But if this is the end of my time here, Lord, I accept. You know, and uh, it's like being born. You know, we didn't have much to say. Uh, God kind of makes the arrangements. Mom and Dad and our date of birth, we just show up. And something similar is going to happen at the end unless we force God's hand and do something, you know, sad or, or self-destructive. But otherwise, God will call us. Mm. We don't have to worry. He'll make the arrangement. He'll send someone over from the other side. He seems to do that on a regular basis. It doesn't seem like anybody dies alone. There's always someone. Lots of stories about a family member or a saint or the Blessed Virgin Mary or Jesus himself. So we have these things to look forward to. But for now, uh, you know, it, the thing is, I think, Joseph, is that if we're not spiritually awake, then we just don't want to think about death, talk about it. If we are, then maybe sometimes the struggle is uh, you know, we get a little impatient, especially if a lot of our family and friends have gone before us. You mm-hmm. talk to older people, and they'll say it's hard, you know, to be the caboose, to be down here still waiting. And, Lord, I know you have some plan, but I, I'm the last one of my generation, and I, I feel a little out of sorts here now. My grandma was that way. She didn't uh, waste her time. She prayed the rosary. It's a great thing about... Um, Catholic media these days, Relevant Radio, EWTN, there's just so many ways of praying, and that coupled with suffering, holy Toledo. No wonder we live so long. Uh, the Lord needs a lot of suffering to save uh, his people. As St. Paul says, completing your bodies was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, he did enough. Of course, you're going to hear people call in now to be upset and say that theologically is unsound. Well, uh, you can uh, sort Take that it up out. with the Apostle Paul if, <laughs> if you think it's unsound. Right. But yeah. it seems that God, he uses... <laughs> suffering. That's his great weapon. Right. And the devil tells us, avoid it. I mean, it's a terrible thing, and, and death is the worst of all. And God says, no, you can accept it. With the grace that he gives, it can even sanctify and make people truly holy. And it sounds like that's what's happened in Joseph's life, and what a blessing for all of us. Yeah, well, and it reminds me of the words of St. Paul, you know, where he says, to live is Christ. It carries out the mission of Christ, but to die is gain. And that's kind of what Joseph, his attitude is there, the same as as St. Paul there. Our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, as we're talking about the last things today. In our studio line, 888-914-9149. We'll take more of your phone calls and talk about heaven and hell coming up next here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. She fell on her knees and said, I haven't prayed since I was young. But Lord above, I need a miracle. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, and we're talking about last things. We've talked about death, we've talked about the judgment, and we still are looking at heaven and hell. And Father Martin, as we look at both of these, um, you know, we're getting towards the end of the hour here, but what does the Church teach us about 
heaven and about hell. Are these real places? Some people might say, well, they're, they're not real. Or, no, God would never, a good God would never send anybody to eternal torment and punishment. Um, we seem to see a much different story from the words of Jesus uh, in the Gospels. Yeah, it is. First of all, we believe Jesus to be God. That's the central claim of Christianity, and God can neither deceive nor be deceived. So uh, it's true what he says. And uh, so he reveals that the judgment and uh, a little bit about heaven and hell, uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth and the separation and the worm doesn't die and things of that nature about hell and, and heaven. That Well, St. Paul writes that what I has not seen here is not heard, has even dawned upon us what God has in store for those who love him. And then, you know, St. Stephen, who's the first martyr of the church, he looks up and he sees, you know, that he has this vision of heaven. And that gives him such a, a peace and a courage that he's able to, right there on the spot, forgive the people who are killing him. And they're claiming that he's blaspheming, but he not only spoke the truth, but now he's witnessing it. And this is the reward of those who live in faith, is that they're able to uh, accept that the world is um, in rebellion. This is another part of Christianity that... Uh, that God wanted to be with us. He, he delights in the children of men, but by sin, there's this, uh, this you know, sort of a disdain for God or distrust or a turning away from a rebellion. And that's, of course, fanned into flame by the devil and all these other forces that are uh, at odds with God. But God so loved the world, he sent his son, and so he reveals to us a little bit. Now, uh, there, we, we really don't know that much about right. all the details, but enough that they exist and that... Uh, now, my students used to say, Father, what if you're wrong about the things that you're teaching and so forth? So, well, I mean, hypothetically, we have to admit that that's possible, right? I mean, it's not like proving gravity or things like that. But I said, even if I am wrong, I still think I'm a better person for having believed this, believe something, and in this case, to believe that God has spoken and that he can't lead us astray. He has an enemy who can, and that's what he does. He's the father of lies, the accuser and everything else. So uh, even if we were wrong... We're a better person. We're more forgiving and patient and kind. That Christianity changes people in holy ways. That uh, Cardinal Newman, who is now a saint, said to live is to change. To be perfect is to have changed often. And that's what grace does. And it uh, allows us to accept that not only will we die, but in death our life will be revealed for what it was, a choice for the goodness of God and the truth or a choice for selfishness and pride. Now, that's uh, still... Uh, yet to be determined, most of us, we, we win some, we lose some, but I'm trying to right. that and, uh, share in that final victory. Father, we've got Randy, who's listening out in Madison, Wisconsin. Randy, you're on, on the air with Father Martin today. Hi, Father Martin. I say uh, this is a wonderful um, conversation about such an important topic. Um, it's always, you brought up both of these things about the narrow path in Matthew 7, 13, 14, and you also brought up the thief of the cross. Um, when I talk to people about this subject, it is an uncomfortable subject, but the great majority want to talk about the thief of the cross that I can uh, convert on my deathbed. The thing that got me over the hump, and like you say, we've got to get this right. If you're wrong, um, it's an eternity um, in hell, possibly. But the thing that got me over the hump is what the um, what the Catholic Church fathers and doctors of the Church have uh, written about the fewness that are saved. And to me, um, I'm going with that narrow road scenario versus waiting to my deathbed to convert. What are your thoughts on this? 
when I was a kid, the priest used to give a little talk about uh, the good thief, right? St. Dismas, we give him a name, you know, and uh, that, you know, it's a, it's to give hope for those who, you know, it just never came around. They just waited to the last moment. So, but it's uh, it's the only, you know, instance of it in Scripture to, you know, dissuade us unless we're thinking about trying it ourselves, you know, that, uh, that this is the only time we see something like that. So it is hypothetically possible, but not, I mean, who would say I just you know, want to be a minimalist, like, you know, I love you, and but I'll get that right, you know, not today or this week or this year, but, I, you know, I just want to end well. So I'm not going to hit it too hard. I mean, that's not love. I mean, I don't know what that is, but it's uh, it certainly it doesn't look like much of anything that's uh, of value. So uh, Steve Prefontaine, the great long-distance runner, he said, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. What happens is that we start to realize how good God is. In this morning's gospel, St. Matthew writes that, you know, that Jesus said, what you received as gift, give as gift. And we start to recognize that it's all a gift. I mean, everything that the fact that we were born at all means we won the lottery, we got a chance to go to heaven. But it's not a sure thing. You know, it's not that we earn it or somehow we show God that he's lucky to have us, but it's a gift he's trying to give us. And we think that we can just live in a certain way and still receive the gift. That won't happen. You know, we'll, we'll... Run away like Adam and Eve because of the shame and the guilt. That's what sin does. Is that it, it makes us feel like God can't love us now. That That's not true. God can't not love us. I mean, it's impossible for him to be unfaithful. But sin is not a game. I mean, it's a poison. And it affects us. And when people think, well, I'll just live my life as I want it, and then I'll just turn around at the last second. When does that ever happen? I mean, no other facet of life. Like, I laid around all summer and drank beer and ate chips, and then I was all conference and basketball. I mean, that just doesn't, you know, I mean, these things don't fit in other aspects of life, so even less in the spiritual life. Now, we don't want to have a hopelessness, but we do want to remember, like St. Monica, when she was dying, she asked her sons, including Augustine, pray for me. Well, I mean, you're a good holy woman. Well, that'd be a waste of time. No, this is a humble woman. And the holiest people recognize that people who are saved, it's because God is merciful. They didn't earn heaven, like, wow, God's, you know, he's got to let you in. No, he did that because he loved us. He gave it as a gift. We don't earn it, and uh, we don't deserve it. But so, I mean, sometimes we, our hearts kind of change. So I think, Randy, reading the doctors, doctors of the church, the church fathers, uh, that is always a safe uh, and a sturdy path that leads to the truth. And I'm glad that you shared that today. So we want people to have hope. But please, let's not be presumptuous. I mean, we live in a time where it's like, well, if you haven't killed anybody, you're probably fine. Oh, please, God, we can do better than that. I mean, that's <laughs> right. like... You know, that's a pretty that. low bar, yeah. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's where... Uh, on the seminary wall, it used to say, better to aim high and miss than to aim low and hit. And that's uh, that's kind of a Christian impulse. Yeah. Father, we're down to our last uh, about 20 seconds here. Could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing as we round up the hour? May God bless, guide, protect each one of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, Father Martin, thank you so much for being here on The Inner Life today, and uh, thank you so much for all of those who called in. I'm sorry to those of you we couldn't get on the air. Uh, Of course, if you missed any part of the earlier uh, show, you can always go back and listen to the podcast. I tell you that every day, so just go back and listen to the podcast, RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Thanks to Nick Sentevich and Jake Moore for their help in producing the program. And stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next, Father Looney is the celebrant. We're going to be talking with Father Matthew Spencer tomorrow about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. So I hope you'll join us then and have a wonderful rest of your day.